while you're headed there. Um, if you're visiting with us, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Michael. I'm privileged to serve as the lead pastor here at Newbreed Church. Um, get to serve with three other amazing pastors. And we are currently in the middle of a series, series that we It's a series where where we take the beginning part of the year and we just refocus on our our mission statement. Our mission statement says we exist to make disciples who show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. And I introduced last week this idea that's kind of going to be pervasive throughout this series, this idea of promoting the gospel. Um, So not just proclaiming the gospel, but promoting the gospel. And what we talked about last week was was our worship as mission, our worship as mission. And so we're going to continue in that vein, continue in that theme. And I want to read into your hearing Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 4 and reading through verse 7. I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word. Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning there in verse 4. This is what Jeremiah records. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons. Their sons and daughters multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. And I want us to consider this idea this morning of faithful presence as mission. Faithful presence as mission. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of worship that we just had and this worship that we will continue to have as we open your word to hear from you. Lord, I feel highly inadequate this morning to proclaim your word. And so I ask that you would give me physical and spiritual strength to preach your word to your people for we're ready to hear from you for your fame, for your glory, and that we might be faithful with all that you have called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Faithful presence as mission. I know I use a lot of basketball examples, but I'm a basketball fan. Uh, And so they provide a lot of real world lessons. I, I remember back in 2013 in the NBA Finals, it was LeBron James versus Kawhi Leonard. It was tied up two to two. They were in the midst of the game, and, and I remember this. It's actually become a meme. Some of you might have seen it and not known what it, what it is, but Kawhi sitting on the bench, um, taking a breather, and LeBron James just got fouled, and he's at the free throw line, and he's getting ready to shoot at his free throws. He just steps into his routine, steps up to the line. But he hasn't gotten the ball yet from the ref, so you can still sub. And you hear that buzzer sound, somebody's subbing in. And LeBron James turns and looks, and in walks Kawhi Leonard. 
And there's this funny video. You can look it up and you just see it in LeBron's face. He's, and then he mouths something, which is why I can't show you the video like I wanted to. And that's always just struck me. Kawhi Leonard had just been sitting on the bench. He hasn't done anything yet. LeBron's got the ball. He's about to shoot free throws. But the very presence of Kawhi Leonard in the game changes what's happening on the court. It changes how people have to respond, both on offense and defense. It changes the very essence of what's taking place on the court. And I've always found that to be a really interesting example Because I have to believe that in some ways that's the reason that God has left his church here. To be a presence that when we are there, the game changes. That those around us have to adapt and react to the fact that we are present and our presence means something. Maybe basketball is not not the best example for you. I have two this morning. In 1977, Johnny Cash released the song called No Earthly Good. Anybody know that song? Anybody? No? Okay, well, all right. Well, he did. He released a song called No Earthly Good. And in the first verse, he sings this, Come heed me, my brothers, come heed one and all. Don't brag about standing or you'll surely fall. You're shining your light and shine it you should. But you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And in this song, maybe unbeknownst to him, Johnny Cash is recognizing the tension that exists for many Christians. The reality is Hebrews 13, 14 tells us that on the one hand, this world is not our home, right? It says in in Hebrews 13, for we, we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one that is to come. So you have on one hand the reality that this world is not our forever home, but then you have on the other hand the reality that Jesus speaks of in John 17 that we are to be in this world, but not of this world. We are to be salt and light. We are to live in this world as ambassadors for Christ until he calls us to our eternal home. And what this tension has produced for many Christians is that they live in one of these realities and not the other. Let, let me explain. So on one hand, you have Christians who, are, who, who so deeply believe that this world is not their home, that they have forsaken the expectation of being salt and light in the world, of preserving and flavoring this world. Often, you'll hear rhetoric from this side like, just preach the gospel. That's the only thing that matters for a Christian. Just preach the gospel. And part of the thinking of this group is that all the other things are inevitable realities of this world, so why bother with them? Injustice will always be present. The needy will always be present. The outcast will always be present. Therefore, don't focus on those things. So in their view, the only faithful representation of the kingdom comes from proclaiming, proclaiming the gospel. But then on the other hand, you have those who who so want to be salt and light in this world that they'd forgotten that this world isn't their forever home. They've become so engrossed in this world that all that matters is making this world better. So these are the folks that only think what matters. The only thing that they think matters is social change. The only thing that matters is feeding the poor, of clothing the hungry, of fighting injustice, and in summary, it's making this world a better place. Now, here's the thing. Neither one of those positions are wrong. They simply become problematic when it's the only way that you see existing in this world. 
We want, we want to bring those two together and to proclaim the gospel but also be a presence in this world, a presence of peace, of justice, of righteousness, of mercy. We want to correct the oppressor. We want to, we want to deal with injustice, but we want to proclaim the good news of Jesus all along the way. I've come to think of it like this, and maybe it'll be helpful for you. You may have picked up on it in the words that I've used. In a very real sense, we have to understand that this world is our home. It's just not our forever home. And so the question then becomes, why does God make this our temporary home? Why has he placed us, his church, here in the world, and not that when we were saved, we were immediately taken to glory? Well, the answer to that question, in a sense, is what we've tried to express in our mission statement, that we exist to make disciples who show off Christ where life exists by gathering around the gospel and going with the gospel. And in other words, when God saved you and brought you into his kingdom, the mission was just starting. Because we believe that God is still saving, God is still redeeming, God is still restoring that which is broken. And our responsibility is to be a part of that mission while we are here. And so this morning as we continue with this idea of the mission, I want to present to you this idea that our faithful presence is a part of the mission. Our faithful presence is part of us fulfilling our mission. So here it is in a nutshell, part of us making disciples who show off Christ where life exists requires that we, the church, be faithfully present in the community that God has placed us. Not hiding away, but active for the good of the community, watch this, which will in turn lead to your good. I want to show you by examining the passage that we just read at the start. And so if we're to understand that faithful presence is a part of our mission, there are three things that we need to understand. Here's, here's the first. Our presence is not an accident. Our presence is not an accident. Look, look again at verse 4 with me. It says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, in order to get the full context of this section in Jeremiah, we have to go back a little bit. So if you look back at verse 1, we read this. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So what's going on is this. There's a large portion of Judah, of God's people, who are already in Babylonian captivity. This is the same captivity that we read about in Daniel, that Daniel was experiencing. Actually, Jeremiah and Daniel were contemporaries. They lived at the same time. In fact, it's Jeremiah 29, verses 10 and 11, 
where it says, For this is what the Lord says, When 70 years of Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. That's what Daniel is referring to in Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2. When it says that in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, listen, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So these are two men who lived during the same time. This is a side note. just like to throw it in whenever I get there. Jeremiah 29, 11 is not your life verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper and all that. Don't make that your life verse. Because if you want that as your life verse, you need to take verse 10 with it that, hey, you're going to get that after I give you 70 years of captivity. That's a promise for Israel for a particular place in a particular time, though it reveals the heart of God. That's not the best life verse. Anyway, during King Nebuchadnezzar's reign... There were a couple of exiles that took place for the people of God. Not all of Israel or of Judah was exiled at the same time. So there was one batch that was taken into Babylonian captivity while a bunch of them still remained in Jerusalem. In fact, Jeremiah is actually still in Jerusalem as he's writing this letter. He's writing it to those that were already taken into captivity in Babylon. But again, notice what he says in verse 4. He says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So pay attention to this. They are there. The exiles are in Babylon. Not because of some random plot of man. Not because Nebuchadnezzar is a stronger ruler. And not purely because they messed up and were unfaithful. They are where they are because God put them there for a reason. God was doing something, and it was more than they realized. Make no mistake, the catalyst for their exile was their unfaithfulness. We see it time and time again in the history of Israel. Israel is in this continued pattern of unfaithfulness, and one of the means that God uses to draw them back to himself is by placing them in captivity so that they realize that the promise depends on God and not them. And so this is one of those instances where the catalyst for their exile in Babylon was their sin, but even in that, God was doing more than they realized. Now, can we just pause and think about how amazing that is about our God? That even when we sin, it doesn't thwart God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish. And God is so good that he can discipline you while using you to make much of his kingdom. Yeah, it was punishment for disobedience, but as one commentator notes, he says, it was also preservative, it was restorative, and it was missional. It was preservative in the fact that by Israel or by Judah going into exile, it was a means of God preserving them and keeping a remnant for himself. It was restorative in the fact that in exile, that is where they would cry out to the Lord and repent and be brought back into right fellowship with God. But it was also missional, as we'll see in this text, because this was the means God was using to shape the culture of Babylon. In other words, the people of God were in exile in Babylon because God was doing more than they could even imagine. They were not in the place they were because God messed up. The people of God were not where they were because Some people had a difference of opinion. 
The people of God were exactly where the sovereign God had determined that they would be. It wasn't easy. It wasn't Jerusalem. It wasn't comfortable, but it was where God wanted them. Now, I think the case could be made that I might not just be preaching about Israel, that I'm preaching something for us to pay attention to here this morning. Because what this text is positioned to teach us is that if you are in Christ, you have confidence that that though you may not be where you want to be in life, though you may not have accomplished what you thought you would have accomplished in life thus far, if you are in Christ, your presence in your current seasons and stations of life is exactly where God wants you. And his intention is to use you presently where you are. God has placed you at your job to be a presence for the kingdom there. God has placed you in your home to be a presence for the kingdom there. God has placed you in your friend group to be a presence for the kingdom there. Wherever you are, whatever sorrow you are in, God has placed you in the midst of that sorrow to be a presence for the kingdom of God in that sorrow. Wherever you are, if God is indeed sovereign, you are not where you are by accident. And so the question is not whether or not God has lost track of you. The question is whether or not you've lost track of what God is trying to do through you. Because if Philippians 1.6 is true, where Paul says, that I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If that is true, then our confidence is that God has not abandoned us in the hard seasons, in the hard moments, and in the hard places, and even more, God has placed us in the hard seasons, and the hard moments, and the hard places, not only for our good, but so that his glory might be made known to the world. God is with us even when we can't see what he is doing. But I have to add this, this truth, this idea that our presence is not by accident also confronts the temptation that so many of us are tempted to buy into. It confronts the temptation to believe that the grass is always greener on the other side. You see, it's interesting because part of the reason that God is communicating all of this to Judah through Jeremiah is to remind them that they are exactly where he wants them and he doesn't plan on moving them anytime soon. 70 years is a long time to be in exile in a foreign land. A lot of people will die before they get back to the promised land. A new generation will be born that will have never known the promised land. And God is saying, I'm not in a hurry to get you out of here. See, we learn in verses 8 and 10, if you look down to verse 8 and 10, it says, for this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete... Notice that for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you and restore you to this place. So what was happening is that there were false prophets who had been exiled and trying to give the people encouragement. They were claiming to speak for the Lord, but they weren't speaking for the Lord. And what they were declaring is don't get too comfortable because we're going to be back in Jerusalem before you know it. Don't worry, God's going to deliver us. It might, be, it might be tomorrow. It might be next week, but it ain't going to be long. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Like, get comfortable, because I'm not planning on moving you anytime soon. And the Lord says to them, I have you where I have you for a purpose. 
But here's what I want you to see. If you are so fixed on where you are not, you will miss the reason God has you where you are. You'll miss your purpose. And I get it. I've been there. I've been in some dark moments. I've been in some spiritual exiles. I've been in some hard places. And all that I want is to get out. But one of the things that I've learned is that the harder I fight to get out, rather than trusting in God in the midst of it, the longer I have to stay there. You see, the reason that Daniel says what he says in Daniel 9, where he brings back up the 70 years, is because he's looking at what's going on in Judah, and 70 years is almost up, but the people aren't crying out to the Lord. They aren't praying to God, and Daniel knows that we're going to be here even longer because if we're not faithful where God has us now, he's never going to move us. And so David, or Daniel then is faithful on Israel's behalf and puts on sackcloth and ashes and repents for the people and cries out to the Lord. If you are so fixed on where you are not, you will miss the reason that God has you where you are. And I'll I'll acknowledge where you are might be hard, it might be painful, it might be tough, it might not be safe, but if God is there, it's the best place you could be. And we need to recognize that the same danger Judah faces is a real danger for us. We can become so fixed on what we don't have. We can become so fixed on where we wish we were. We can become so fixed on what the people of God have in other places that we miss the fact that God has placed us where we are for a specific purpose. Newbury Church, let me make it as plain as I can for you as we consider our mission. God has us where he wants us. And the question is whether or not we'll be faithful while we're here. It doesn't mean we can't plan. doesn't mean we can't look towards the future. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but you can do that and be faithful in the present. To be a faithful presence where God has placed us. We are not here by accident, but this leads to the second truth that I want you to see. Not only is it true that our presence is not an accident, our presence has a purpose. Our presence has a purpose. Look again at verses 5 and 6. God just reminded them that I deported you there. And here he's confronting this idea that he's going to get them out, that, that the false prophets are telling Judah that God's going to get them out quickly. And this is what God says. He says, no, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Now watch this. Multiply there. Do not decrease. So this is interesting. Because God says, this is a Michael translation. You're not leaving anytime soon. Have you there for a reason So what should you do while you're there? I like how Stephen Smith puts it in his commentary where he says they are to have a posture of presence, to be present where they are, to flourish where God has placed them. And what does flourishing look like? Well, it's interesting language that God decides to use here. I think there's a reason for it. God says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Find wives for yourselves, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that you may bear sons and daughters. And then he says, multiply there and do not decrease. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Why this might be significant? Well, not only is God calling them to be present, but their presence is, in a very real sense, a reiteration of what God has called, or what, what we've often called the creation mandate in Genesis 1.28. Do you remember it? After God makes man and woman, he makes Adam and Eve in his image, and then God says this in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful. And multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, find wives for yourselves. This is back in Jeremiah, by the way. Have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and your daughters, give them in marriage so that they may bear more sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Right? It's, it's a reiteration of what Adam and Eve were expected to do in the garden. To exercise dominion and to reproduce a people for God's own possession. And what we have to understand is that God, God never got away from the creation mandate after the fall. Mankind is still in the image of God and the expectation is still to function as God's representatives here on earth. But what does that look like? It means taking dominion and reproducing a people who will further represent the kingdom on earth. Commentator Dr. Jeremy Huang says it like this. He says, Yahweh's commands for the exiles to multiply there and, to, and do not decrease. Recall the creation mandate and the related Abrahamic promises underlying the storyline of the entire Bible. And he goes on. He says that the people of God were to have such a presence wherever they were that it shaped the culture that they were in. And that's the storyline of the Bible. Do you realize that? Dr. Wayne goes on and shows that you see it again in Genesis 9-1. You remember when Noah got off the boat and what does God say to him? Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You see it in, in Genesis 22 in the promise that God makes to Abraham where he says, hey, your descendants will be, will be as many as the stars in the sky. You're going to reproduce a people that, that will represent me here on earth. You see it in Exodus 1-12. You see it in Deuteronomy 8-1. You see it in Nehemiah 2-23. You see it here in our text in Jeremiah that God has been intentionally having people exercise dominion as his representatives and to reproduce a people that will represent him here on earth this idea that part of our faithful representation of the kingdom is to live here on earth to be present to be faithful and that will require us to take dominion and produce people that belong to God now it's interesting because in the old testament Israel would physically reproduce a people because the promise was tied to your ethnicity to being a part of the nation of Israel but in the new covenant we produce a people as well but it's not by physical reproduction It's by spiritual reproduction. Whereas people come to know Jesus, the old man is dead and the new creature comes to life and it is a person who is a representative of the the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And this is to take place wherever God sees fit to place us. I'm trying to get at is this, your your presence is meant to be a faithful testimony to the fact that you belong to God. 
that you are exercising dominion, you are shaping the culture around you and aiding and producing a people for God's possession. As some of you might think, well, Michael, that's just all Old Testament stuff. Can you make that case from the New Testament? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are, you are to be the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand it gives light to all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Two pictures there, a picture of salt and of light. Let's break those down a little bit. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Well, you've got to remember what salt was used for when Jesus was giving that example. Right? We use salt mostly for seasoning. I use too much salt for seasoning. John knows my wife say amen. They did use it for seasoning as well. But more than that, they used it for preservation. They didn't have fridges. And so what you do is you take meat and you would, you would load it up with salt, right? Press it in. You, you, would, you would cover it on top. You would engulf this piece of meat or, or this piece of food with salt and it would preserve it. It would keep it. It would stop it from rotting. And so what Jesus is saying is that you are the salt of the earth. Wherever you are present, you are to season that environment, Wherever you are present, you are to preserve that environment. The world should not be getting worse in the places where you are planted. Because if you are the salt, you are preserving, you are keeping the rot from spreading and from festering. But notice that Jesus says, man, that if a salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? It's only good to be thrown out and trampled. Now, here's the thing we know. Salt can't actually lose its saltiness. So what is Jesus talking about? I think I've explained this to you before. What would often happen is that the salt would be kept in big bags, kind of like what we would think of like burlap bags, right? So they had little pores in it. Now watch this. If the salt wasn't used and was just sitting there, dirt would get into these pores, right? The, the muck from the ground would get in. And, and what would happen is the salt would become indistinguishable from the dirt around it, and then it's no good. But do you know how you stopped salt from becoming useless? You used the salt. You are the salt. Your presence matters, but you can go on. He talks about we are the light of the world. We reflect the glory of God, the light of his kingdom to this world, and it says that nobody takes a light and puts it under a basket. No one hides a light. Why bother lighting it? But I like how he ends that. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Listen, you know me. I do not believe that you can be saved by works. I don't. I, I believe that we are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God so that no man should boast. It is God working in us. But we cannot neglect the fact that Jesus just said that your good works can be the means by which others give glory to God. He doesn't say good works alone, 
but your good works, your presence, your faithfulness in the place where God has planted you can be a testimony to the goodness of God in such a way that people will want to give glory to God because they see something different in you. We're going to come back to that idea in just a couple weeks, but we are to be both seasoning and preservatives. We are to be a light. So let's take this physical picture, apply it to our spiritual reality, which we've been trying to do. What this means is that wherever God has you, he has you for a purpose. And part of that purpose is that your presence would represent the kingdom of God wherever you go. But this is not just for you as an individual. It's actually not primarily for you as an individual. This is a reminder to us as the gathered body of Christ in this location that God wants our presence here. He wants our presence as a picture of the kingdom and not just on Sundays. Your faith is not meant to be private. And I know that stands in stark contrast with what we hear in our world today, right? Keep your faith out of my government. Keep your faith out of my schools. Keep your faith off my body. Keep your faith private. But we just have to reckon with the fact that our faith has never meant to be private. Salt is meant to touch meat. Light is meant to shine in the darkness. You are planted to represent the kingdom, and you can't represent a kingdom if you're not seen. Your faith was never meant to be private. And God will use our faithful presence not only for our good, but for the good of those around us. Again, if we are faithful. This leads to the final thing I want you to see. Our presence promotes flourishing. We could add a caveat there. Maybe say our faithful presence promotes flourishing. Because you can be present and not be faithful. But we want to be faithfully present in such a way that it promotes flourishing. What does that look like? We'll look at verse 7. He says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. I want you to see something here. When Jeremiah says, pursue the well-being of the city, the word there for well-being is shalom. It's peace. The peace that comes from God. Pursue the peace of the city that I have deported you to. Now catch this. Their presence, the way they lived as exiles, was meant to be so significant that it promoted peace in a pagan nation. Now I want you to understand what a radical calling this is for them. These are people that, these are the people that captured Jerusalem. This is a pagan nation with a pagan king who worships false gods. And they have conquered the land that God promised to Israel. And what does God say to do? Pursue their peace. See, our faithful presence as the people of God has never depended on whether or not the people want us. Our faithful presence has never depended on how we're treated. Our faithful presence is a present that depends on a God who has called us and placed us where he wants us. 
Jesus highlights this reality in a different way in John 15, verses 18 through 19, where he says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen out of it, you out of it, the world hates you. And yet still, Jesus calls us to love this world. And in some sense, church, this is good news for us. Because the world doesn't really want us right now. Our country doesn't really want us right now. But our faithful presence has never depended on whether or not they want us. It depends on the God who has seen fit to place us here. And so we represent his kingdom. Look at what God says. He says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. God is calling them to pray that those in the city would have this peace with God. In essence, they're praying. They are to be praying for Babylon's salvation for them to experience peace with God. That's a profound calling for Israel because they're the people of God. They're God's chosen representatives here on earth. And now God's saying pray for the other nations, pray for Babylon to experience the peace of God. Their presence was meant to be a reflection of what peace looks like. And in turn, their presence would lead to more peace. But I don't want you to miss this, and this is a significant truth. If they were to promote peace, they first had to be at peace with God. And they weren't. Again, that's part of the reason they're in exile in the first place is because of their failure to follow after God. That's why God says in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 through 14, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. He says, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and and places where I banish you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. You see, it's interesting. God's doing something revolutionary right here. Because they saw their peace as being tied to a place. As being tied to Jerusalem. And it wasn't. It was tied to God. And God's doing something profound right here. One commentator notes this. He says, God's chosen place of shalom has now moved from corrupt Jerusalem to pagan Babylon. But the exiles must first restore shalom among themselves before working and praying for the shalom of Babylon. And in a very real sense, this is a foreshadowing of the peace that was to come. We know where our peace is found, don't we, church? It's found in Jesus. He himself is our peace He has given us peace with God. He has given us peace with one another. That's Ephesians 2 in a nutshell. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then it says, but God, being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. 
He gets to verse 10 and he says that you, you are his craftsmanship created for good works for you to walk them out. And then you get to verse 11 and he says not only is, is Jesus our peace with God, but Jesus is our peace with one another. Jesus is what produces peace on this earth. He has tore down the dividing wall of hostility by making both Jews and Gentiles once. Jesus is our peace. Paul says it like this in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ Jesus. We know where peace is found. It is found in no one but Jesus. And if we are going to promote Jesus, we have to be okay with Jesus. And for some of us, that might mean reckoning with the fact that we're not in the place that we want to be, but we are where God has us. We're not experiencing all the things that we want to experience, but we're experiencing what God has for us. There's more sorrow here than we thought. There's more struggle here than we thought. There's more pain here than we thought. But being at peace with Jesus means that we are okay with where he has us. We would rather be where God is than anywhere else. And it's only when we are at peace with Jesus that we can promote peace. And Jesus isn't shy about how profound it is to be a peacemaker. Because in the Beatitudes, Jesus says in Matthew 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We are here in this place first and foremost because Jesus has saved us. Because though we have rebelled, though we had waged war against God, Rather than destroy us, he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on a cross to save us. And as Jesus died on that cross, he took the full punishment for our sin on himself. He was crucified and buried. Three days later, he raised, raised from the dead. And we are invited to find peace with God by placing our faith in Jesus, by turning from our sins and running after him. But our story doesn't end there. Then God places us in the environment that he has for us and says, now be peacemakers. Promote the peace that you have experienced. And, and this, this is going to get fleshed out some in the weeks to come. But church, what, what I want to leave you with this morning is this. You are not where you are by accident. We as a church are not where we are by accident. But just like in a, in a physical sense, the people of God in the Old Testament were to exercise dominion and reproduce a people by being present where they were, creating and cultivating culture right where they were, shaping it to be a kingdom culture. We too have the same mandate to be present, to exercise dominion where we are and cultivate a people for God's possession. And we don't do this through physical reproduction. We do this through spiritual reproduction. But we will never have the opportunity to proclaim Jesus if we are not faithfully present where he has placed us. And so what I want to leave you with is a question this morning for you to pray through and weigh through. If Jesus has called you to this church, so this is family talk, right? I know we got some visitors. This is family talk right now. Maybe the Lord's calling you here. I'll ask you the question in a few months. If God has called you to be here, what does faithful presence look like? Because I'm convinced it's more than just showing up on Sunday mornings. What does it look like to be the people of God present where God has placed us so that peace flourishes? Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
God, we thank you that you are our peace. Just as we spoke a moment ago, Lord, that even though we had rebelled against you, even though, even though each and every one of us had turned to our own ways, God, you didn't give up on us. And you were faithful to save us. And you sent Jesus to live the perfect life that we should have lived, but we can't, to die the death that we deserve to die. And in power and victory, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave. And we can have peace because of what Christ has done. But God, I pray that you would remind us of the significant truth that when we were saved, you didn't just call us out of this world, but you left us here. You planted us here. You planted us to be present, to represent the kingdom, to be faithful, to promote your peace. Lord, I pray that you will keep New Breed in this community for decades to come, long after we are gone. But I pray that it will be said that peace spread because we were here. That our presence would be a powerful aid in us fulfilling the mission that we believe that you have called us to accomplish. So give us grace to understand, Lord, what faithful presence actually looks like in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.